Good morning again. Last week, we started this brand new sermon series we're calling Faith That Works. We're working through the New Testament letter of James. If you missed last week, we'll give you a real quick recap. We asked the question, who was James and why should I care about his letter? So we talked about how James, uh, we believe, is the half-brother of Jesus. James didn't believe in his brother while his brother was alive and teaching, but something happened that caused James to go from being a non-believer in his brother to calling his brother Lord and Messiah, and we believe that the only thing that would cause somebody to call their older brother Lord is something as significant as a resurrection from the dead. Um, And so because of that, we believe that James's letter gives us some credibility. Uh, James was an early leader in the first century church. He led the church in Jerusalem for a while. He helped the church uh, come up with some important decisions when they were trying to figure out how this Christianity thing is supposed to work now that we've got Jews and Gentiles all coming to faith in Jesus. So he was instrumental in helping the church navigate those waters. And then he wrote a letter. He wrote a letter to the 12 tribes who were scattered abroad, these Jewish Christians who had been forced from their home because of local persecution, were trying to figure out how they were to live the Christian faith in this new environment. The environment we're going to see today wasn't always so easy. Uh, so the book of James, is a, it's a how-to book. There's not a lot of lofty theology in it, although there's theology that sort of undergirds it and supports it from the foundation. But it's really, it's, uh, as one commentator called it, it's an intensely practical book. If you want to know what it means to live out the Christian faith, James has some really good advice. As a matter of fact, I think James' advice is so good in so many places that even if you're not a believer, even if you're, you don't consider yourself a Christian, you're, you're on the fence, you're exploring faith, I believe James' advice is so good that it will work for you anyway. Uh, so even if, you, if you're not sure if you're a Christian or a believer, but you're here and you're listening, if you put what James has to say in practice, I think you'll find some benefit. So uh, in today's message, we're going to look at faith that works when the going gets tough. Faith that works when the going gets tough. James begins his letter by talking about suffering and hardship, and so we're going to answer the following question. What attitude should I have towards suffering? What attitude should I have towards suffering? How should I think about hardship in my life? James is going to answer that for us. Here's what he says. James chapter 1 will begin in verse 2. He says, consider it pure joy. Pure joy? James, we're talking about hardship and suffering. What do you mean, consider it pure joy? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. James, are you feeling okay? That joy is not the first thing that comes to mind when I think about going through trials and suffering and hardship. James, why in the world would you tell us to consider trials and hardship and suffering joy? We'll see in just a minute. Here's what he says. Uh, Whenever you face trials of many kinds. So that that leads us to a question. What kinds of trials? What might James be talking about here? Well, if we study the original context, if we study the, the context of Christians living in the first century, the people to whom James is writing, these Jewish Christians who have been forced out of Jerusalem because of local persecution, who are finding themselves trying to get along in new places as they follow a new religion, and by the way, new religions weren't looked upon very kindly uh, in that time period, 
in, in the Roman culture. You could, you could believe in lots of gods, but if you didn't believe in all the gods and just believed in one god, well, there's going to be people who are going to look down on you, and they're going to challenge you, and they're gonna, uh, th- they might persecute you. And so he's writing to this group of people who is, who's going through persecution, and not just persecution you know, in their homeland, but persecution in new areas. So they're trying to establish new lives and living. And as we're going to see later in the letter, they're being oppressed by people who are wealthier than them and, and they're facing all sorts of different kinds of challenges. Uh, they're facing poverty. They're facing persecution, um, as well as anything else. The, the thing I love about the book of James is it's so broad, right, that he talks about trials of many kinds. So even if we're not going through the exact same kind of trials as the first century Christians, the, what James has to tell us will help us through any trial. Uh, so here's what he says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. James, why would you say that? James says that's a great question. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, the word that James uses for testing here, I know that um, I, I try to stay away from the, the Greek as much as possible, but the, the, the Greek word that James uses for testing here is, is a word that refers to the refining of precious metals the, the, um, in the ancient world, and, and still today, to refine precious metals, that it goes through a process. And, and the word that James uses for testing here is the same word that they use to talk about the refinement of precious metals. And this is a, a theme that's very uh, common and consistent throughout Scripture. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 3 says this, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. So, if you wanted to purify gold, if you wanted to purify silver in the ancient world, there was a process that you would have to go through in order to make that precious metal as pure as could be. So, what I have here is I have a picture of gold ore. Picture of gold ore. This is, this is gold that's, that's pulled out of the ground before it's been refined. And as you can see, who would want to wear that on your finger the way it is? Oh, would you? Okay, well, so, some of you would. Most of us would probably want to, to have, you know, a, a little bit purer form of gold. And so in order to turn this nugget of gold ore into something that you would want to wear on your finger or around your neck or in your ears, it has to go through a process of refinement. So how do we take gold ore like this and how do we turn it into something precious and beautiful? Well, here's what has to happen. If, if you're not metallurgists, any metallurgists in here that want to come up and explain this? Okay. Uh, if you're not metallurgist, here is the, the layman's version. I, I was doing some reading on this process. Here's what has to happen to turn precious uh, metal ore into the pure kind of metal that we wear in jewelry. First, it has to be crushed. It's got to be crushed. They, they crush it into powder in, in, in lots of different ways. So they, they break it down and they crush it into, into a fine powder. Then after it's been crushed, they put it in a crucible. A crucible is a, is a dish that can withstand really, really high heat, and they subject it to incredibly high amounts of heat. This would happen in places you'd have to have a lot of fuel to burn and, and wind. And, that, you know, if you've ever seen the pictures of those, those, I don't know what it's called, you know, you go like this and it blows the air and it really heats up the thing. And, and so it, then it melts the gold. So first it's crushed, and then it's melted, subjected to incredibly high heat levels of heat to burn away the impurities and, and to separate the, a lot of the impurities will raise to the top and can be skimmed off. After that, in order to get it where it needs to be, it needs to be beaten and molded and formed into shape. So it's crushed, melted, and beaten. 
Sounds like trials in life, huh? You've probably been through some things, and you came through the other side, and you felt like you had been crushed, set on fire, and beaten a little bit, right? But when you do that to precious metal, what comes out on the other side is something beautiful and worthy and admirable, but it doesn't get there without first going through the process of refinement. This is the word that James uses to talk about what trials do to us for our faith. Here's what he says. The reason we can rejoice is because we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. Perseverance. Now, what is perseverance? Perseverance is the power to endure hardship the power to endure hardship. And so what James is saying is as we go through difficult situations, it strengthens us to be able to go through more difficult situations. It, it, it gives us the power to endure. Again, the word here, it means to bear up underneath, to bear up underneath. Think of, of carrying a heavy load, carrying a heavy backpack. Uh, many of you know I'm a I'm a chaplain in the army, and so sometimes we have to carry heavy loads on our back. And, and the only way uh, to, to walk a long distance carrying a heavy load is to walk shorter distances carrying a heavy load. We, we condition ourselves, we train ourselves, we strengthen ourselves to be able to bear up underneath the load. This is what James says, going through trials, going through hardship, going through suffering does for us in our life. It gives us the power to endure, the power to bear up under more trials in life. This is actually how strength training works. Maybe you know this. When you go to the gym, as all of you do, and you pump iron, right? So you're, you know, you're doing your bench press and your, you know, all of your different lifts. What you're doing is you're actually causing micro tears in your muscle. You're actually tearing your muscle up. That's the pain you feel the next day when you wake up and you can hardly move because you lifted too much weight. That's because you, you, you tore your muscles. As those muscles heal, they build more tissue, and you become stronger over time. But the only way you become stronger is by stressing and tearing those muscles. This is a principle that works throughout life. Whether you're a believer or not, going through hardship, enduring hardship, gives you the strength and the power to endure more hardship. So James says, because of that, we can rejoice when we experience trials. When we go through hardship, when we go through suffering, we can adjust our perspective knowing that we're going to come out stronger on the other side. That famous line we've all heard, whatever doesn't kill you, make you makes you stronger, right? James just says that a little bit more eloquently in his letter to the Christians living in the first century. Uh, so the, the point I'm trying to make here, I, I want to uh, give you something to hold on to. Suffering makes us stronger if we let it. Suffering makes us stronger if we let it. That's why James says in the next verse, he says, let perseverance finish its work. Let it finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, there are ways to not let perseverance finish its work. We don't have to let suffering make us stronger. As a matter of fact, um, there's an old phrase, an old proverb, you may have heard it, the same fire that melts the butter hardens the egg. The same fire that melts the butter hardens the egg. Well, what does breakfast have to do with this sermon? It's the same elements applied that cause different reactions to different things. The same suffering 
that in some of us can build character and strength and endurance if we let it. If we don't let it, if we choose to resist it, if we choose to fight against it, if we choose, it can also make us bitter. Suffering makes us stronger if we let it, but it will make us bitter if we don't. And so we get to posture ourselves, we get to control our perspective, we get to control our attitude and our thoughts towards suffering. What I'm trying to communicate here is our attitude towards hardship determines its effect on us. Our attitude towards hardship determines its effect on us. Now, I want to spend just a couple minutes and I want to talk about what this passage of Scripture does not mean. Okay, what this passage of Scripture does not mean. Because sometimes we, we can look at this and we can take it out of context, and, we, and you've probably seen it done. Scripture can be misused in ways that are harmful or ways that are weaponized. And so I want to I talk about this in context and just give you some ways not to understand and apply this Scripture. This does not mean that we, we have to enjoy suffering, right? We don't have to enjoy the process of suffering. If you're going through hardship, if you're going through trials, if you're going through trouble, you don't have to enjoy the process, okay? That's, that's taking it a step too far. Um, there's a word for people who enjoy pain. You don't have to do that. You don't have to be that. We don't need to be people that actually enjoy pain. That's not what James is saying here. Uh, this also doesn't mean that we don't seek a way out of suffering, right? This doesn't mean that if we find ourselves in hardship that we don't, like, seek a way out. It doesn't mean that if we're going hungry, we don't get a sandwich. If we find ourselves out of a job, we don't look for another one. If we find ourselves, uh, you know, sick and with a disease, we don't go to the doctor. We don't, like, take bad situations and not do anything about them just to produce perseverance, okay? We will experience enough on our own Life will throw enough at us that we don't need to search out extra suffering just to build perseverance, all right? Uh, this means that, you know, this, we don't have to stay in abusive relationships, right, just because it's going to make us stronger. If there's a way out of suffering, it's okay to take the way out of suffering, right? If, if you've got a disease and a doctor can help you, it's okay to take medicine. If you're in an abusive relationship and there's a way out of the relationship, you can get out of the relationship. Uh, if you lose a job, you know, and you're struggling, it's okay to take another job. We don't stay in suffering just for the very reason of building perseverance. We'll have enough opportunity as it is. Um, this also doesn't mean, I, you know, I don't think it's a problem here, but it doesn't mean that if we find somebody else who's suffering that we refuse to help them, right? If I come to you uh, and, and I'm hungry and, I'm, uh, and you have an opportunity to help me, you don't say, hey, I see that you're hungry. I could give you a sandwich, but count it all joy, brother, because this suffering is going to make you stronger, right? That, that's, that's an inappropriate way to use this scripture. If we have the opportunity to help somebody relieve suffering, that's what we do. We look at the ministry of Jesus. That's what he did. We, we, don't, we don't weaponize scriptures like this to, to people who are hurting and keep them hurting. If we have the opportunity to help, we help them, okay? Just want to I don't think any of you would ever do that, but, you know, I just want to throw that out there just in case. Bible says if you're suffering, you just need to rejoice, brother, you know, so I know I can help you, but, but I'm not going to. We don't do that. Um, so that's, that's what this passage does not mean. That's what this passage does not mean. What does this passage mean? So what I told you earlier. Suffering makes us stronger if we let it. And I've seen this. As a pastor, as somebody who's worked as a chaplain in the military and a chaplain in a hospice and in the healthcare settings, I have 
seen people, I've talked with people who have been through incredibly painful situations, incredibly dire circumstances, and have come out the other side. And they'll say things to me. I'll talk to somebody who's gone through cancer and, and has survived and come out, and it's been a horrible ordeal. They'll say to me, I wouldn't wish that on anybody in the world. I wouldn't want that to happen to anybody else. But I'm a different person now. God was able to do something in me because of what I went through that now I'm a different person and I understand God on a deeper level. And I have this this appreciation for life that I never had before. I'll talk with people who who have lost loved ones and, and through the tragedy, it, and it, it's just been horrible, and they wouldn't wish on anybody in the world, but they come through on the other side, and they say, you know what? Now that I'm on this side, I'm in a position to be able to help somebody else who's gone through what i just gone through. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but because it's happened, I now have an appreciation for what I have, and I have this ability to look at life in a different way, and God has worked something inside of me because of this deep loss in my life. This is a principle, as a matter of fact, that works for Christians and non-Christians alike. As a matter of fact, there have been studies, major studies done that have shown that people who have gone through tragedy and have allowed that tragedy to shape them often become some of the best, most influential leaders in the world because going through that crucible of life has helped them, has given them a perspective on life that people who haven't gone through tragedy just don't get. And it gives them a strength and a toughness and a tenacity and a perspective. And these are the people that often do things that change companies and change countries and and change the world. People who go through, they're called level five leaders. And oftentimes, it's very difficult to become that kind of a leader without going through some kind of difficult process. I've, I've worked with people who have gone through, you know, the, the loss of a relationship, you know, have, have come out of a relationship that they thought was going to last forever, and then for some reason it doesn't, and the process is painful, and it's bitter, and it, it, it exposes ugliness in yourself and others in the world, and, and it brings you to your lowest bit, and then I see them as they continue to grow, as they come out of this, and there's, there's a sense about them, they, there's this foundation at the end of it that's just unshakable because of what they've gone through. And they wouldn't wish it on anybody else. I, I, I don't want anybody else to go through what I've gone through, but because I've gone through it, I now have this strength and reliance that I didn't have before. Suffering makes us stronger if we let it. And it's a principle that you don't have to be a Christian for this to work. If we, we can adjust our perspective on suffering regardless of whether we believe in God or not. But for those of us who are Christians, for those of us who do believe in a God who can raise even the dead after crucifixion, we know, the Apostle Paul writes, that in all things, God is at work for the good of those who love Him. Now, I don't believe for a second that this means that God causes bad things to happen to us. Right? We, we know that we live in a world that is broken, that's stained with the effects of sin, that, that things are not as they should be. God doesn't need to cause bad things to happen because there's enough bad things as it is. 
But we do believe that we serve a God who's good enough, who's big enough, who's loving enough to take even the bad things that happen to us and shape them and use them for His good. And I've seen it. I've seen somebody who is on their deathbed, whose family had been divided and there had been infighting, and their final prayer before they passed away was that the process of them dying would bring their family back together. This was their prayer. And it worked. I saw a family that had been fractured and divided come back together and unify. And through the death of this person, a family that had been splintered and shattered had been unified. Even in death, God was able to bring about something good and something beautiful because I believe that's the kind of God that we see in Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you have preserved this ancient letter for us, this letter that's full of wisdom from someone who has been through their share of suffering. Lord, I thank you for the wisdom of James, how it can speak to us today wherever we may find ourselves, whether we're finding ourselves in a new location trying to figure out how to, how to put this thing together, how to, how to put together a new life in a new place, whether we're trying to figure out how we get along without somebody in our life that has been there for so long, whether we're trying to figure out how to get over this illness or this disease or, or live with a new diagnosis or whether we're, we've lost a job or we're, we've had a financial setback. Lord, I just pray that, that whatever hardship we may find ourselves in, Lord, that we don't need to enjoy it, we don't need to celebrate it, we don't need to revel in it, but Father, I pray that you would help us to, to shift our perspective, to allow the process to work on us. Lord, sometimes the process seems brutal, it seems like we're crushed, melted, beaten, twisted, and bent out of shape. But in the end, God, I pray that you would just help us to emerge on the other side with purity, with worth, with beauty. Father, I pray that you would help us with, with what we've gone through, that you would put us in a position to be able to help somebody else. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who, even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of suffering, is at work for our good always. We thank you for your love and your goodness and your grace, and we pray that your plan for our lives would come to pass, that we would allow you to work on us, to form us and to shape us into the best versions of ourselves that you've planned for us to be. Thank you for these people, for this week ahead. Father, help us to see you in every aspect. In Jesus' name, amen.